You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Yodi Anderson. Thanks for joining us today. Today, I'm asking, where's the bar? And unfortunately, no, I'm not talking about your local pub. I'm talking about where do you set the bar for your dog in terms of your expectations? I'm going to cover three main areas today where I think pet parents have their bars slightly off the mark in a lot of situations, and that's going to be puppies. We're going to talk about house training. We're also going to talk about sociability. So think about where you set your bar, and we'll be right back after these messages. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Dyson. The new Dyson Animal Vacs are powerful bagless upright vacuums for homes with pets. Air muscle and radial root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Vac, go to DysonDeals.com. DysonDeals.com to order your Dyson Animal Vac today. Dyson. Music to your ears. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Get Positive Results. I'm your host, Teodi Anderson. And today we're asking, where is the bar? And heaven knows that having a dog can often drive you to drink, or sometimes we often toast the dogs in our life. But today I'm talking about where you set your bar for expectations. This has been coming up a lot lately, so I thought it would be a good time to chat about it. I'll start with one of my own. Sawyer and I are training in agility. Sawyer is my three-year-old Belgian Chevron, and he is devastatingly handsome. However, he has no idea that he has a rear end. He's always running into things. He runs into furniture. He's just a clumsy boy, even though he's very handsome. And it's been a while since we took an agility class. It's one of the perils of being a professional dog trainer. You never have time to train your own dogs. Well, I started up a class again, and it's been maybe a year since I had taken him to class. And the last time we tackled a particular obstacle, it did not go so well. It's called the dog walk. And if you're not familiar with agility, a dog walk is a ramp that goes up, and then there's a plank that the dog walks across, and then there's another ramp leading down. To practice, they had a dog walk plank that led up to a platform. So it wasn't the full height of a typical dog walk. And bless his heart, as we say in the South, as I was luring him up the ramp, he would walk up with his front paws, but his back paws stayed on the ground. He did not realize that his back end was not in any way related to his front end. And so it did not go so well. We had fun, but it just didn't go so well. And that was fine. We're in it for the fun of it. And that was the last we worked on it. Well, new class starts and they have the full dog walk up. It may not have been full height, but it was set up properly as a typical dog walk would be. And they said, all right, let's try him on the dog walk. And I said, well, he's never done it before. He's never done the actual obstacle. We did the practice and we never really did well at that. So this would be a leap for him. I deliberately set that bar really low because we didn't have good success with this previously and he had never done it before. And the instructors were awesome. They said, we know we're going to spot him and make sure he doesn't fall off or jump off and let's try it. I said, okay, why not? So I got my cheese 
The dog will work for cheese. I lure him up the ramp. Next thing I know, he's halfway across the top of the dog walk. And I saw him slow down and watch where he was placing his feet. And I'm like, who are you? And what did you do with my dog? It was awesome. He rocked it. It was absolutely terrific. I was so proud of him. And he ran down the other side of the dog walk like he's been doing it his whole life. So that was great. I had set that bar pretty low for Sawyer, and he leaped over that bar and kept running. He had a good time with it. And when we do things for fun, it's okay to do that. It's, it's all right to set that bar low. We're just in it for the fun of it. It's something fun to do with my dog. I enjoy training. I always enjoy learning. And uh, he's a really fast dog. And maybe this will help him learn where his rear end is. Sometimes with situations with our dogs, however, setting that bar has greater ramifications. It can cause problems in families. It can cause problems in your relationship with your dog. It can cause strife when you set the bar where it really shouldn't be. Is your bar too high? Is your bar too low? I'm going to give you some samples today and you can think about it. And uh, think about other areas in your life where maybe you're setting that bar in an incorrect place. And you can also email me and ask. And that is teoti at petliferadio.com. T-E-O-T-I at PetLifeRadio.com. We're going to start with puppies. We started with puppies in our last podcast, and I love talking about puppies. Could talk about them all day. But a lot of people bring these puppies home with unrealistic expectations. They're setting those bars all over the place, and there's no way their puppies can reach it. To define a puppy, you need to know a couple things. The little guys, the little toy breeds. I have a Papillon. If you have one of the little Chihuahuas or Maltese's or one of the little guys, they're not physical adults until they're a year old. My medium to large size dogs, I'm talking Labrador Retrievers, Weimaraners, most of the Doodles, if they're full size, they're not adults till two and a half. So you basically can have a 70-pound puppy running around your house. With the giant breeds, Leonberger, St. Bernard's, Great Pyrenees, they're not really physical adults until three. So when you think about puppies, you have to set that bar at an appropriate height for your type of puppy because you may have expectations that he should be acting like an adult when he's really nowhere near acting like an adult. I've had Labrador Retrievers. I love that breed. They're very popular, one of the most popular in the United States. And people see them when they're older and then they bring the puppies home and they're nothing like that. (laughs) They're usually really hyper, really energetic, chewing on everything. And all that is normal. And then the dog gets to be a year old and they're waiting for this dog to grow up. He's not done yet. About a year, year and a half to two and a half, that's full-blown adolescence for those dogs. And they still have a heck of a lot of learning to do. So we got to be sure that we're setting that bar at a good place for those dogs and understanding when they're puppies, they're not going to behave like adults. They're going to have the attention span of turnips. Puppies have no attention span whatsoever. So it is very normal for your puppy to be coming to you when you call him and then get sidetracked by dirt or a butterfly or somebody grilling a burger down the street. It's very normal for puppies to do that. They really, really, truly have absolutely no attention span. It's also very normal for puppies to chew on everything. And what I hear a lot is, he's got all these toys. I gave him $100 worth of toys and he still chewed on the couch. That's normal. Now, just because we're setting that bar on a realistic level doesn't mean we have to put up with it. I don't want you to put up with chewed couches and chewed shoes and destroyed remote controls. But you have to understand that that's going to be normal for a puppy. So you're going to have to supervise that puppy and confine that puppy when you can't supervise him so that he doesn't have an opportunity to do those things. Because you can buy your puppy a billion toys and some expensive toys at that, even the toys designed for tough chewers, and he's going to find something else that he wants to chew on. I tell folks, 
folks, it's like having all those cable channels or satellite channels. You've got tons of channels, hundreds of channels, but yet you flip and flip and flip and flip. You can't find anything to watch. Your puppy's the same way. He's going to have a chew bone. He's going to have a stuffed rubber toy. He's going to have this interactive toy. He's going to find your shoe anyway. So you just have to confine him and you have to watch him. But don't set that bar too high because a lot of times what happens is as that puppy graduates into adolescence, people will assume that they're over the chewing stage. They'll assume that it has adult sensibilities and they'll give it way too much freedom before it's ready. So you don't want to run a trip to the store and come home only to find your couch completely in pieces. That, that would be very disappointing. So make sure you're setting that bar realistically. We need to take a break for some messages, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the ever-popular house training bar and where to set that one. Be right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Victoria Schaefer, aspiring actress, babysitter extraordinaire, college student, and animal enthusiast, is on her own for the first time in New York City. Follow Victoria and her two dogs, Rue and Echo, as she cares for her furry friends and juggles home life and career, all the while managing to survive in the world's most hectic city. The exciting animal adventures and secret stories from both ends of the leash that make up the tales of the city. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On PetLife Radio. PetLife Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Get Positive Results. I'm your host, Teodi Anderson, and today we're talking about where's your bar? Where's the bar of expectations when it comes to your dog? We're going to talk about house training next because I think that is the most frequent question I get, most frequent situation where I find that pet parents are setting that bar all over the place, and sometimes it may not be realistic, or maybe it's set too low and you can set it higher. That happens actually with this topic as well quite frequently. A coworker came up to me the other day and said, I know that you told me I had to watch my puppy like a hawk because he could pee if he was unsupervised, but I didn't realize you actually meant I was supposed to watch him like a hawk. I was like, I wasn't kidding. I was being literal. 
puppies can pee in a heartbeat. They can pee in a second. And if you turn your back for one second, that's the opportunity they're going to find to have an accident. So when trainers talk to you about supervision, we mean like FBI surveillance. We mean you should be watching that dog at all times. Is it hard? Yes, it's hard. They're so fast and you get distracted. Your phone rings or someone texts you or you've got to go put something in the microwave. And you think if you can just turn away for one second, it's going to be okay. Not with a puppy. It's not. When we talk about supervision, we mean you really have to set that bar high for yourself. You've got to watch that puppy and that dog while you're house training it, if it's an adult dog, really closely to make sure that they don't have the opportunity to have mistakes in the house. Another thing is that young puppies need a lot of breaks, a lot of potty breaks. An average for an adult dog, maybe four times a day. That's for a dog that's been house trained and is has gone through a house training program. If you rescue an adult dog, you may have to do some more frequent potty breaks for that dog. But young puppies need a lot of breaks during the day. They have to have a midday break. Got a call from a potential client once who was going to get a puppy and he wanted to sign him up for puppy kindergarten. And he was saying that he was having trouble attending the puppy kindergarten class because of the scheduling that I offered. And so I was giving him some alternatives and he says, well, I work, you know, 14 hour days. And I'm like, oh, well, who's going to come home for the puppy? He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, this is a young puppy, right? He goes, yeah, I'm getting him in eight weeks. I'm like, well, that's great. But somebody has to come home at lunch to let that puppy out. He said, well, I can't do that. I work 14 hour days. I'm, I work for a very popular gym and I can't get away. And I said, somebody has to come home for the puppy. It is unrealistic to expect an eight week old puppy to hold it all day. You can paper train that puppy, but you still have to be there to paper train it. Dogs don't learn this stuff by osmosis. You have to train them. And the guy was just shocked that the puppy wouldn't be able to hold it all day. So he hadn't done his research in that regard. So you don't have to do it forever, but at least until about six months. When the puppy's about six months old, and it's going to depend on the puppy. It is going to definitely depend on, on the breed or type of dog that you have as well, to a certain extent. But on average, puppies can only hold it about half a day before they have to go. And this is yes, even if they are able to hold it all night. That throws people off all the time. They'll say, well, my puppy held it all night, but he peed twice before I could get home for lunch. And that is also normal for puppies as well. So set that bar where all puppies under the age of six months, on average, definitely need that midday break for house training. The other misconception I think people have is that their puppy automatically understands what they want in terms of house training. If you put your puppy in the backyard, you expect him to know that you want him to eliminate outside. And that is not the case at all. You've got to set that bar high for yourself, lower for the puppy. When you're house training a puppy or an adult dog, again, that you rescue, you need to go out with that dog and that puppy, and you need to reward them when they go outside. If you just assume that you're being very clear by releasing them into this huge backyard, which is like Disney World to your dog, you're going to be disappointed because they're going to go out and they're going to get distracted. Remember the turnips? They have no attention span. So they're going to go out and they're going to play and they're going to roll in the dirt and they're going to chew on some grass and then they're going to come in and remember they had to pee and that's when they pee inside. So you have to go out with them. Don't just assume that you can put them outside and everything's going to be fine. They're not going to make that assumption. We think we're being clear, but to your puppy, he doesn't understand that. Another place where people set that bar is that just because your puppy or dog learns to be house trained in your house doesn't mean that they understand that's for every house. So people set that bar pretty high 
and they have a dog that's not had an accident in their house for months. The dog is an angel. You can leave even if you run late at work one day. Your dog never has an accident. This is an awesome situation at home. You love this dog. You can hold it for quite some time. Here come the holidays. You take your dog, and the first thing your dog does is pee on your grandmother's carpet. You're mortified. This is actually kind of usual. Your dog learned not to pee in your house, didn't learn not to pee in grandma's house. That doesn't mean that every time you take your dog to a new location, he's going to pee. What it means is you just have to set back your training a couple steps and work your dog up to that situation. So when you go to grandma's house, you're going to put him on leash. You're going to watch him again. You're going to take him to frequent potty breaks, show him where you want him to eliminate. And then it's going to happen much faster in that new location than it did when you originally trained your dog. But it is not uncommon for dogs to eliminate in different locations from your home because they don't necessarily generalize that information. They don't think that, oh, I'm not supposed to pee in every house. You never covered that. That's what they're thinking probably. On the other side, some people set their bar too low with house training. And I think house training is really interesting for dogs. I I get more questions on house training than anything else. And this is where people either have unrealistic expectations often about what their dog should be able to achieve, or they let their dogs get away with all sorts of things that I would never let my dogs get away with. And I have to tell them, I say, you can set that bar higher. Let's move that bar up a couple notches. And here's one case. One is intact males. If you have a male dog and he's not neutered, a lot of people let those dogs get away with peeing all over your house. And that is completely not necessary. Intact males can learn to be house trained. It's really just a house training issue. It is hormonally triggered. When a male dog reaches adolescence, he doesn't want to mark his territory, but that doesn't mean you have to put up with it. I'm surprised at how many people just allow that to happen. It really doesn't have to be the case. If you don't mind it, okay, that's one thing. But if you want to train your dog to go outside, you can absolutely do that with an intact male. I waited a very long time to neuter Sawyer, and uh, he learned not to pee in the house. You do it humanely. You can make it fun for the dog. But it is a myth that just because you have an intact male dog that you have to allow him to do that. It really isn't the case at all. You just have to train him, and you have to be more vigilant for a little bit longer. With a puppy that's neutered, those hormones aren't going to have the same kind of triggers as an intact male. So you need to be more vigilant, but you can absolutely train your dog to go outside. Another thing I hear frequently when I have clients with house training issues is that the breed is hard to house train. Maybe the breeder told them that. I think in certain areas, it can be a category. For example, I do think that the toy breeds, the little guys, can be more challenging. And I think that for several reasons. One, and these are my opinions, these are not science, by the way, one is that they have really little digestive systems, and they're also very fast. Little guys are fast, and so stuff just moves through them really fast. But also, they're also quick moving to a general degree. When I was raising my Papillon, he could be having the zoomies around the love seat. He'd pee on the other side without ever slowing down. It's hard to catch them because they're very quick. Also, their accidents are generally smaller. When a Great Dane puppy pees in your house, you notice it. But when a little Maltese does it, you may not notice it for a couple days or never if it's not bad and he does it in a little remote location. So I think people find it easier to be less vigilant with their toy breeds. But other than that, there's not really one particular breed that is notoriously hard to house train necessarily more than others. I think some of that is an excuse. Uh, sometimes it can be excuse from a disreputable breeder. And I've had that happen with some of my clients before. But in general, with a good house training program, you can house train most dogs, considering if they're healthy. Which brings me to my next point. If your dog has an unusual elimination schedule, don't accept that as okay. 
I had a client once that came to me and said, my dog pees all the time. And for me, I always have to ask, what is all the time? Because what's all the time for me may not be all the time for you. And she says she pees every half hour. I'm like, okay, are you sure? And she goes, no, I kept a journal, which is awesome, by the way. That, that I love clients who do that. She said she pees every half hour. She says the other day she was, had her front paws on the ottoman and she's walking around and peeing the whole time. That is not normal. That is not normal. I said, please take your dog to the vet. And it took her a couple visits because the vet had trouble finding out what the issue was. And I kept encouraging her to go back, which I know can be frustrating when you have, you know, one professional telling you something and another professional telling you something else. But eventually she saw a specialist and it turns out the dog was very, very sick. It had juvenile renal disease. And this is a very serious condition. The dog was not normal. She had contacted this dog's breeder and the breeder said, oh, well, these dogs are notoriously hard to house train. So she had accepted that as maybe, you know, it was her fault or maybe it was just the dog. And that wasn't the case at all. So if your dog is peeing every half hour or just unusually amount, even if you don't even know if it's unusual, ask somebody, ask somebody who's qualified, go to your veterinarian, take your dog into the veterinarian and have it checked out because you shouldn't have to put up with that. And it's not good for your dog to have to put up with that if they're really sick. And the vet can help you with that, with medication or diet or, or whatever situation that might be. Same for diarrhea. When you talk about pee, you got to talk about poop with house training. But if you find that your dog's elimination is not normal in any way, or if you don't know if it's normal, ask and get it checked out. You can bring in 100 trainers, but if the problem is physical, you're not going to get anywhere. So we always check for physical issues before we resort to behavior training. That's always the case. The last one I want to talk about today is sociability. In my puppies podcast, we talked a lot about the socialization importance and how big an impact it has on a dog throughout its adult life. I think that this is another really good area where people's bars are all over the map and we want to set some realistic expectations for that. Believe it or not, dogs don't have to love everybody. (laughs) We don't love everybody. Imagine going to a dinner party and you don't know anybody. You know one person who invited you and that's the host of the party and you go in and how do you react at this dinner party? Do you throw your arms around everybody you meet and kiss them on the cheek and give them a big hug? Do you politely shake hands? Do you kind of like try to find someone you know and go off in a corner? Do you hang out with the dog? How do you act at a dinner party? There are lots of different styles. Now, there are some people who come in and throw their arms around you. You've never met them before. and They're very effusive and very huggy. How does that make you feel? Does it make you feel comfortable? Are you a hugger back? Or are you saying, get off me? Dogs can be the same way. We always want our dogs to love everybody. And it's great if you have one of those dogs. That is, it's great to have a dog that is confident and social and has never met a stranger. But it doesn't have to be the case. I'm not talking about aggression. I'm just talking about liking people. Tolerance is what I'm talking about. Maybe your dog doesn't love children. It's not going to growl at them. It's not going to be aggressive. But kids are not this favorite thing. That's okay. It's okay. Not every dog wants to play with other dogs. This is so hard for some folks to let go of. They really want their dogs to have a buddy or to go to the dog park and go to dog daycare. And the dog's not interested. I taught a puppy kindergarten class years ago, and we were doing a couple different exercises. One was the puppy playtime. It was supervised puppy playtime. And then if the puppies ever left the little play group of other dogs and went to people on the sidelines, the people were to ask the dog to sit and give it a treat. Well, I had a little pit bull puppy, 
in this class who was precious, who went into the middle of the crowd, played for two seconds, went to the nearest person, sat, got his treat, never paid attention to the other puppies the rest of the class. He thought the people were awesome and he wanted the treats. And he would go from person to person like a little social butterfly and kiss them and sit pretty for them and get his cookies. He loved people. That was his preference. This is not a dog that really enjoyed playing with other dogs. He didn't aggress toward the other dogs. He didn't act inappropriately with the other dogs. But if the other dogs tried to engage him in play, he'd be like, yeah, I'm not that into you. And you know, that's okay. It can be hard if you're a very social person and your dog isn't. Your dog just isn't all that interested in playing with other dogs. But that's his preference and they're entitled to that. Again, I don't think they should be aggressive. If your dog is attacking children or attacking other dogs, that's a bad thing. We need help with that. But some dogs just don't like certain populations and just it's not their thing. And that is absolutely okay for that dog. We shouldn't force them to be put in situations. If you were forced to endure a dinner party where everyone was throwing themselves at you and that made you uncomfortable, that's not a good place for you to be. And we don't want to do that to our dogs either. I had a disturbing call years ago of a woman who said that her dog had bit her son out of the blue. And I will tell you as a professional dog trainer, dogs never bite out of the blue. It's extremely rare for a dog to bite out of the blue. And there are always signs. 99.9% of the time, there are signs that the dog is going to blow. Unfortunately, most people just don't recognize them. It's not their fault. If you don't have a background in canine behavior, you may not know what to look for. But there are always signs. Well, so I start doing a case assessment for this and start finding out that her son is 10 years old. And I asked about the relationship, how the dog normally was. This happened to be an English Springer Spaniel. I'm going to call him Saint. And uh, for five years since they got this dog, Saint was five, the child was 10. The boy played very rough with this dog. He had a toy sword and he would play pirate with the dog and hit the dog with the toy sword. He also would grab the dog's head and put his nose straight up to the other dog's nose and stare into the dog's eyes. Now, as the woman is telling me this, I'm breaking out into hives. I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, he's going to get bit in the face. When you grab a dog's head and force it to hold still, staring into his eyes, it's a very assertive gesture in dog language. It would be at a dinner party where someone came up to you, grabbed you by the sides of your face, put his nose to you, and stared into your eyes. You could be easily offended by this, and dogs can be easily offended let alone being hit with a stick over and over again and all the other things that this child had done. And I explained to her, I said, I'm very sorry that your child got bitten. I know that was very frightening and I'm glad that he's going to be all right. I will tell you though, that the interactions with this dog are inappropriate and you are going to incur more problems if they continue. I will confess that there are trainers out there that would have gone into this home and done an assessment and immediately told the woman she needed to rehome her child, which I'm not one of them. Uh, I like kids. I love working with kids. The interactions were inappropriate. And when I explained that to the woman, she came back and said, well, you're the third trainer to tell me that. And I've talked this over with my husband, and he said that the dog should just put up with it. It's a dog, and it should put up with whatever my child dishes out. That bar was so far off the mark, I can't even tell you. And I explained to the woman, I said, well, well, I hear you. And while there are some dogs on this planet that will put up with a tremendous amount of that kind of interaction and never snap and never bite, there are much, much more likely to be dogs that would have bitten your son sooner. 
This dog put up with this for five years. That's why I'm calling him Saint. And most other dogs would have given up on this child early on. This is really inappropriate behavior. And my concern is that if it continues, your child is going to get really hurt or he's going to try it with another dog that has less tolerance than Saint does. And I would be happy to come work with you and teach you what appropriate behavior is and teach your son how to appropriately interact with this dog and work with the dog to overcome this issue. But it has to stop or you're going to have a serious problem. Your, your son is going to get really, really hurt. And it really isn't the dog's fault. I wish I could tell you a happy ending to that story, but I don't know what the ending was. She chose not to get help, and, and I didn't know of any other local trainers that she had contacted for help either. They really thought that the dog should put up with it. And if you go out to Facebook or go out to YouTube, you're going to see stuff like that all the time with kids sitting on dogs. Isn't that cute? Or pulling the dog's jowls out. Isn't that cute? It's not cute. And a lot of times you can see the dog being tense and doing a whale eye. That's when they have their eye off to the side and you can see mainly white around the eye. We call it whale eye. That's a sign that the dog is stressed and uncomfortable and it is a danger sign, basically, that the dog is reaching limits. Kids need to know how to appropriately interact with dogs. That bar has to be set realistically. Dogs also have to learn to put up with kids to a certain amount, too. I'm not saying that they should be kept in little hamster bubbles and, and kept safe from all children. They can learn to work with kids, but no hitting with toy swords and no staring and grabbing at the face. That was just not a good bar to be at all. Another issue with socialization that I see is... The dog that has a history of not liking other dogs to the point of aggression, which I don't believe in allowing aggression, we have to fix that, but the dog already has a history of aggression and the family wants another dog. So they bring another dog home and then they're surprised when the first dog hates it. We have to set that bar low again, that we don't think a dog that has had a history, especially years-long history of not liking other dogs is going to embrace this. When we see puppies, we fall in love. They're so precious and they're so comical, but other dogs may not feel that way. They may not like puppies. Some dogs really don't like puppies. They may like adult dogs, but puppies freak them out. That's normal too. If there's a dog in your life that doesn't have a history of getting along well with another dog, bringing a new dog into the home is a risk. It's a risk to your existing dog. It's going to stress him out so much that he may attack the new dog. It's also a risk to the new dog. It's going to teach that dog that other dogs are unfriendly. And that is not a lesson we want this dog to learn. So a lot of times I have to counsel people that they're really getting the dog for them. And while I completely understand that because I normally have more than one dog at a time, it may not be best for their entire family. Some people feel guilty that their dog doesn't have other dog friends. But as I said earlier, that's okay. Some dogs are happy being the only child. They want to be the only child. They don't want to share. They don't want to have to share your attention. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that if that's that particular dog's inclination. And if you can handle the fact that you may not be a multi-dog household. Again, with all these issues, you can always get help from a professional reward-based trainer in your home. But that brings us to the end of our show today. I will say that I will be setting another low bar for Sawyer. We are about to undergo an adventure with a herding instinct test next weekend. I've never done it before. I'm taking him to a farm and they're going to test him on sheep to see if he has the herding instinct. I'm hoping the sheep set a low bar for him too. We're going to see how we do. And I will report back on that next time. Unless I'm completely humiliated, in which case I may gloss right over it. But uh, I want to thank my producers for making this show happen. If you would like to reach me, you can find me on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash positive results, P-A-W-S-I-T-I-V-E, positive results, or T-O-T-E-O-T-I 
at PetLifeRadio.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your host, Teodi Anderson, on Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.